Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Port St. Lucie. Please join lead pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, Remember. All right, well, as many of you know, by personal experience, life can become really, really busy. So often, the hectic pace of life, what happens? It starts in the morning, and it continues on all the way until the the evening hours. Now, I'm not describing every day, but for many of you, a lot of your days you know, look something like this. You get up in the morning, you jump in your car, and you're hurrying to work, along with thousands of other people in the poor St. Lucie area who are rushing to get to work. And so you fight rush hour traffic with a bunch of crazy people who are driving uh, in, in crazy ways. And by the way, they're texting while they're driving. Don't you hate that? Don't do that. And then you get to work, and what happens when you get to work? You find you got all these appointments to keep, you got all these assignments that you gotta complete, and and at the end of the day, what you find out is that you still don't have enough time to finish everything. And I I know that about some of you because I've heard how you go home and your email is just still filled with tasks that are uh, still not done. And then you get home, and you gotta cook dinner, You gotta do dishes. A lot of times there's laundry to do. There's kids who need help with their homework. Whatever it looks like at your house. But then 9, 9.30, 10 o'clock maybe at night, you finally get everything done. And when you finally crash on the couch for some downtime, you know what happens. If you're like me, within three minutes, you're gone. (laughs) Fast asleep. And the next morning, it starts all over again. And so the Lord knew how busy our lives can be. And so what he did is that he instituted a special ordinance to help us remember. The Lord knew how busy our lives would, uh, would become and how easy it would be to forget him and to forget what he did 2,000 years ago. So what he did is that he instituted this ordinance to help us to be able to focus and to help us to be able to remember What's really important? If you're taking notes, what's truly important in life before we get into what does communion mean? I wanna talk to you about what's important in life. And that is three words, family, friends, and faith. Why don't we all say those three words together on the count of three, you ready? One, two, three, family, friends, and faith. And so one day, your busy life is going to end. How many of you guys know that 10 out of 10 people don't make it off the earth alive, right? We all know this. This time is coming. And so one day, your life, my life's gonna come to an end. We're gonna get ready to draw that last breath. And when that time comes, what you need to understand, what I need to understand, is that nothing that we accomplish during this hectic, busy, crazy life, nothing will be more important than how we did as a family member, how we did as a friend, and how we did as a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what's really going to matter as we're on our deathbed someday. And so with that in mind, I wanna encourage you, church family, don't be reactive to life. Don't just let life happen to you. Don't be like the the proverbial hamster on the treadmill. Don't do that. Be proactive. Plan ahead and make time for what's really important. Make time for your family. Make time for your friends. And make time for your faith. And so uh, speaking about family, for those of you guys who have little kids at home, let me see your hands if you still have 
kids that are living at home. Okay, everybody whose hands up, let me encourage you, cherish every moment. Last night I was here talking to a family and their kids were running around nine, 10, uh, 10 years old. And I thought back of when my kids um, were nine or 10 years old and what a blast it was, how much fun it was. And those days, ladies and gentlemen, they're gone forever. All my kids are grown and they're gone. We, my wife and I are empty nesters. And so I wanna encourage those of you who put your hands up, cherish every moment. Don't focus on the frustrations and the problems um, with your kids. Focus on spending time with them. And if they are grown and they, are, they have left the house and they're local, I wanna encourage you to regularly have them over for dinner and play games and hang out with them. Why? Because family is one of the most important things in life. Make time for your family and make time for your friends. How many of you guys understand that friends are a gift from God, right? But sometimes we're so busy, right? We don't answer our texts. Sometimes we're so busy, our friends are reaching out to us and wanting to hang out with us, but I can't. You know, I've got this to-do list that keeps getting bigger and bigger. And I get convicted about this every once in a while. And so make time for those that you enjoy hanging out with. Have fun with them. Laugh with them. And then most importantly, make time for your faith. That's number one. Get to know Jesus Christ. Put him as number one in your life and be a lifelong follower of Jesus Christ. Don't just say a little sinner's prayer and remain unchanged the rest of your life thinking that you've got fire insurance and you're going to heaven. Too, too many people like that in American evangelicalism. All right, be a lifelong follower of Jesus Christ, putting him first in your life, getting to know him as your best friend. Okay, so once again, the Lord knew how busy our lives would become, and he knew how easy it would be to forget about him and to forget about what he did for us 2,000 years ago. So what he did is he established an ordinance to help us remember. The ordinance is simply known as communion. And so we see this word communion in the Bible. The apostle Paul used it in his letter to the church of Corinth. He said, the cup of blessing, which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? And the bread, which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? And so at the end of the service, what we're going to do is we're gonna have you come up here and we're gonna have you remember your communion with the bro broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We're gonna have you remember your communion symbolized by just two really simple symbols and that is the bread and that is the cup. Concerning communion, Jesus said in Luke twenty-two nineteen. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. Ladies and gentlemen, this is why we're here. This is why we choose in this local church every other month on the first weekend of the month to have communion. Because Jesus established two ordinances, baptism and communion. And concerning communion, he said, it wasn't a suggestion, he said, do this 
But when you do it, do it in remembrance of me. So the primary purpose of communion is to remember the Redeemer, to remember his body, which was broken for us, and to remember his blood, which was poured out for us so that we could receive forgiveness of sins once and for all time. And so Mark 14, we're just gonna take the first five words because I got a lot of explaining to do. All right, so Mark 14, verse 22, it says, and as they, that's Jesus and the apostles, and as they were eating. Okay, so what meal was Jesus and his disciples eating? Well, if you leave the verse in its context and you go back to verses 12 through 16 in Mark 14, you find out that the meal they were eating was the Passover meal. Okay, so what is Passover? Passover is simply an annual meal that reminded the Israelites of God's deliverance of their ancestors from Egyptian slavery. So what I'm doing right now is I'm gonna give you the history behind Mark 14, uh, verses 22 through 24. What I'm doing right now is I'm helping you understand or reminding many of you who've already know, know, know this, I'm, I'm helping you to understand the meaning behind the meal. Why? So it doesn't become a religious ritual that we just do and don't understand what we're doing. And so Passover was the meal that Jesus and his disciples were enjoying that evening. Passover was one of the most important days for the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Every year on the evening of the 14th day of Nisan, Passover was observed. Okay, Nisan is the first month on the Jewish calendar. If you're looking at our Gregorian calendar, Passover happens either in March or in April. And so Passover, very, very significant for the children of Israel. And the roots of Passover can be found in the Old Testament book of Exodus. Now, I'm not going to have you turn to Exodus. I'll just briefly tell you the story. But how many of you guys, every, every once in a while, you read through the Bible? You have a Bible reading plan and you read through the Bible? Okay, I see 10 hands. Is that true? How many of you guys are reading through the Bible? Please just lie to me. Raise your hand. Make me feel good this morning. Wow. Start reading through the Bible, please. This book will change your life, okay? And so um, you get through Genesis and you come to the book of what? Exodus. And what do you find in the beginning pages of Exodus? You find that God's people, the children of Israel, are in slavery. They're in slavery uh, to the Egyptians. And so, how many of you guys know God hates slavery? I could park on there and go for hours. Slavery is an abomination to the Lord. And yet, if you know your history, you know that quote unquote Christians embraced slavery for economic reasons for hundreds of years. God help us. I like reading biographies of Christian men that God used in great ways. How many of you, raise your hand, have heard of William Wilberforce? Be honest, just raise your hand if you've heard of William Wilberforce. Okay, so I wanna encourage you to learn about William Wilberforce. He lived in the 18th century when he was 20, in England. When he was 21 years old, he was voted into parliament. And this English politician, all five foot of him, this little man, 
God used to lead the movement to abolish slavery in the British Empire. And it didn't just happen overnight. It took decades of resolve and decades of perseverance, of standing up and speaking out against that which is wrong. And finally, the quote unquote Christians who embraced this abominable slave trade finally said, okay, and right before Wilberforce died, he saw slavery abolished in the British Empire. And later, of course, it would be abolished in our nation. And so William Wilberforce, a hero of the faith, a born again, real Christian, was used by God to change the world. Uh, I, wanna, I wanna encourage you real quick, uh, if you like biographies, uh, Eric Metaxas is a great writer. He's not dull and boring. He kind of draws you in. He's a born again Christian, Eric Metaxas, and he wrote Bonhoeffer. I read that uh, three or four years ago. Uh, that's a biography about a German pastor and theologian who was used by the Lord in the 1930s and early 1940s to stand up against Hitler and the Nazis. And then I'm reading now William Wilberforce, and then my next book by Eric Metaxas is gonna be Martin Luther. He just finished that book a year or two ago. And of course, we all know about the Protestant Reformation and how badly the church needed to be reformed, and God chose Martin Luther to do just that. And so here's what I wanna encourage you to do. Stop with the social media so much. Stop so much with the Netflix binges. Stop so much with Facebook. Okay, stop so much with these trivial, stupid TV shows. Enlighten your heart with some good biographies of men and women of God who were used to change their world. Hey, it's okay to watch TV every once in a while. I do it every once in a while, it helps me relax. But what I know is this, that if that's gonna be my constant diet, I'm gonna make very little impact on the world for Christ. And so do that, incorporate that into um, your life. God hates slavery. And so he sent Moses to Pharaoh with a clear message. And Moses' message was this, let my people go. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, God has sent me. Yeah. And God said, let my people go. No. <laughs> and that's what we see in the book of Exodus. God said, go. Pharaoh said, no. And so God said, okay. I'm gonna send 10 plagues upon Egypt to change your mind. I'm gonna send 10 plagues upon Egypt to show you how much I hate slavery. I'm gonna send 10 plagues upon Egypt to show my power and to show my glory and deliver my people from your bondage. And so you know the story. The next thing you know, the water in Egypt turns into blood and then frogs cover the land, and then there's gnats everywhere, and there's flies swarming all around, and then the next thing you know, the cows and the livestock are falling dead in the field, and then there's this heavy hail that's pelting both man and beast as people are running for their lives, and then boils are breaking out on everybody's bodies, and then locusts are coming and eating everything, and then darkness, even at high noon, darkness is swallowing following up the light in Egypt. And in spite of those nine horrible plagues, Pharaoh, how many of you guys know the heart of man is wicked? 
In spite of those nine plagues, Pharaoh still obstinately said, no, I will not let your people go. And so God said, okay, I'm gonna send a final plague. The death angels come into town. And so because God said go and Pharaoh said no, God would send a death angel at midnight to come and kill all the firstborn sons throughout the land of Egypt. And sure enough, the death angel came. Now the Israelites also lived in Egypt because they were in slavery to the Egyptians. They lived in an area called Goshen. And so God did not want to judge his people. And so he gave them instructions through Moses of what they could do to escape the terrible judgment of the death angel. Now, if you're following along with me, say amen here. You gotta tell these stories to your kids. You gotta repeat them over and over to one another so we can strengthen our faith, so we can realize how awesome our God is, so we can get our eyes off of the, the, the culture that we live in that's so trivial and so shallow and understand the glory of God. And so the death angel was scheduled to come at midnight, but God did not want to judge his people, and so he gave them instructions. Here's the instructions. He said, Moses, tell all the people, each household to get a lamb of the first year without blemish and without spot. Take a knife, slit his throat, and then take the blood of the lamb. Please say blood of the lamb. Take the blood of the lamb and pour it into a basin. And then I want you to take a leafy plant called hyssop. I want you to dip it in the blood and I want you to strike the lintel and the two doorposts of each household in Goshen. And so that's what the Israelites did. They took the blood of the lamb and they applied it to the door frame of their homes. After they did that, they roasted the lamb and they ate it that night in haste with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. And that became the first Passover meal. And so the Israelites followed these instructions and at midnight, just like God said, the death angel came. He flew, I don't know how you can imagine a death angel flying over Egypt, but he flew over Egypt and he went into every single Egyptian home that had boys. And he went in and he killed all the firstborn sons of the Egyptians. How many of you guys know that choices have consequences? Pharaoh made a choice and his choice didn't just affect him. His choice affected tens of thousands of people. You see, your choice, your choices have consequences. Many of you think I can sin because it only affects me. Don't believe that lie from the devil. Your sin doesn't just affect you. Your sin will negatively affect your spouse and your kids and your extended family and your friends. It'll have a ripple effect. And for that reason and that reason alone, we should choose to ask God for his power to overcome sin in our lives and make right choices. And so Pharaoh made a choice. And now the consequences are devastating as the death angel flies over these homes and goes in and kills all these firstborn sons. And then the death angel flew over the area in Egypt called Goshen. 
And as he flew over the homes of God's people, he looked down, but he saw something different. He saw the blood of the lamb on the doorposts and lintel of each home. And when he saw the blood, he passed over those homes. This is where we get the term Passover. And so the next morning, there was a great cry of anguish throughout Egypt because all the firstborn sons were dead. But there was relief in the area of Goshen because all the firstborn sons of God's people were alive and they were well saved by the blood of the lamb. That's so important. Salvation has always been through one means and one means only, blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so Pharaoh woke up and when he saw all this, he said to Moses, get out. Get out of my land and take your people with you. And so Moses said, okay, hey everybody, let's go. And with haste, they made their exodus title of the second book in your Bible. They made their exodus from Egypt. But how many of you know the heart of man is wicked? Pharaoh changed his mind again. He hardened his heart again. He tells his army to go get them. And so you know the story. God parts the Red Sea. Scholars believe some two, over two million Israelites go through the parted waters and when they're safe on the other side, the Egyptian army, which is pursuing them, God says, sorry, and he puts the waters back in their place and he gets glory. Choices, like the choice Pharaoh made, have consequences, but God will use our bad choices to even glorify his name. So God wanted his people to remember. And so he told them, I want you to remember through the Passover meal. Okay, so we're right around 14, 1500 BC. Fast forward about 14 or 1500 years and you come to Jesus Christ. And he tells his disciples, I want you to prepare for a meal. The same meal that we just talked about. The same meal that the Jews have been observing generation after generation after generation. And so the disciples went and they got a lamb. They slit its throat. They took it to the priest in the temple. And the priest sacrificed the lamb and gave them the meat and they roasted the meat. They took the roasted meat to an upper room and they prepared it with bitter herbs, wine, sauces, and unleavened bread because leaven is a symbol of evil. So like that flat matzah bread. They put it all out on a triclinium. And so artists have done their best to try to capture what the Last Supper would look like. I like this. This is probably pretty close because there you have a triclinium, which is a three-sided low table that they used in that day. And Jesus right now is about to change the meaning of the meal. Again, if you're with me here, say amen, because please get this. I want you to understand what you're doing in a little while. He changed the meaning of the meal. Before, God wanted them to remember how the blood of the lamb on the posts of the door caused the death angel to pass over them. Now, Jesus is going to say something different. So we're gonna pick it up now in Mark chapter 14, verse 22. And as they were eating, he took the bread. And after blessing it, he broke it 
and he gave it to them. And he said, take, this is my body. And so on that monumental night, Jesus took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to his disciples, and he said, this is my body. And so the, the bread represents Christ's body, which was what for us? Broken. He broke the bread. And when he broke the bread, what he was doing is he was showing them what was soon going to happen to his body. And so that night after the Last Supper, they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus prays um, and sweats drops of blood. He, he's he's um, betrayed by Judas. He's arrested illegally by the temple guards. He's beat up. He's spit upon. He's tried before the Sanhedrin illegally. And then, because the Romans had taken away from the Jews the right to administer capital punishment, he's turned over to the Romans early that morning, that Friday morning, in order to be crucified. Now, the Romans, before they crucified criminals, would scourge them. And Matthew's gospel tells us, just a little phrase, and Pilate scourged Jesus. And that little phrase is filled with so much pain and heartache and suffering, we can't even imagine. And his body was broken as the soldier took the flagellum. And so the flagellum, also known as a cat of nine tails, was a leather whip, and within the pieces of leather, the strands of leather was um, bone and metal that was woven in. And that first strike across Jesus' bare back would cause pain that none of us can ever even imagine. And so they tied his, his wrist to a post. And that first blow knocked the wind out of Jesus. And it wasn't just one. It was over and over again. We know that as our Passover lamb, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, that none of Jesus' bones were broken. But I gotta tell you that his back, his buttocks, and his thighs, and his arms were ripped to shreds for us. Over and over and over again. You see, the problem we have in a lot of churches in America is we don't even explain the gospel. We get people to pray a prayer and receive Jesus because if you receive Jesus, he'll make you successful in your life. And what we're missing is the true gospel. What we're missing is that we're not just receiving something. Listen to this, you can applaud after this because this next statement's really good, okay? You ready for this? We're not just receiving something. We're being rescued from something. Death, hell, sin, and the grave. And until we can share the, the until we share the good news, we gotta share the bad news. And the bad news is that the penalty of sin has always been and will always be death. Because God is a just God. And they tore his back to shred. And the Lord's scourging and crucifixion fulfilled an ancient prophecy in Isaiah written 700 years before it happened. He was pierced for our transgressions. If you're new to the Bible, that's what you call a miracle right there. You're looking at it. Because it was written in the 8th century B.C., he was pierced. 700 years before it happened, they're describing the nails in his hands and feet of the suffering servant 
If you're new to the Bible, you gotta go back today and read the end of 50, Isaiah 52 and all of 53 and just ask yourself honestly, who is this talking about? Who is this suffering servant? He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for whose iniquities? Ours. Upon him was the chastisement or the punishment that brought us peace. And King James says, by his stripes, that's a good translation, but so is the ESV. You can translate it either way. And with his wounds, the wounds of the flagellum, we are healed. And so in a little while, when you hold that bread, don't let it just be a religious ritual. When you hold that bread, do this in remembrance of Jesus. Remember his body, which was broken for you. But not just his body. There's something else we have to remember. Look at verse 23 now. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood. Okay, so once again, before, I want you to remember the blood of the lamb and how the death angel passed over. Now Jesus is changing the meaning of the meal. And he says, this is my blood, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is my blood of the covenant, Luke's Gospel says new covenant because that's exactly what it was. So he said to them, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many. And so on that monumental night, Jesus took the cup, he blessed it, he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for many. And so the cup represents Christ's blood which was poured out for us. Now in the Bible, there's seven covenants. I'd encourage you to study them and learn them. It's an awesome study. I just wanna highlight two this morning briefly. I wanna highlight the old covenant and I wanna highlight the new covenant. Okay, so the old covenant is described in the Old Testament the new covenant alluded to in the Old Testament, especially in Jeremiah, but it's fully described in the New Testament. The old covenant came from Moses. The new covenant comes from Jesus. In the Old Testament, Moses is coming down from Mount Sinai and he's got the law of God. And I think Pastor Will mentioned this a week or two ago, not just 10 commandments, 613. In the first five books of your Old Testament, the Pentateuch, Torah, 613 commandments from God, we call that the Old Covenant. Now the way sin was dealt with under that covenant was through animal sacrifices. Now you gotta hear that right there. Let me repeat it in case you're thinking about lunch, okay? Listen to this. Under the Old Covenant, the way sin was dealt with was through animal sacrifices. Okay, the penalty of sin has always been what? Help me out. Death. Death. And so if you're under the old covenant and you sin, you gotta bring an animal to the priest. And the priest would slit the throat of the animal. Why? Because God's a just God and sin must be paid for by death. 
And so for 1,500 years, from Moses and the tabernacle all the way to the Romans destroyed the temple in AD 70, for 1,500 years, millions and millions and millions of bulls and goats and lambs were sacrificed under the old covenant, substitutionary sacrifices, and that blood from these animals would atone or cover, the word atonement means cover or appease a wrathful God. And so all the blood from these animals for millions of years, over 1,500 years, would atone for people's sins. But there was a problem. And the problem is described in the New Testament by the author of Hebrews, check it out, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to do what? Take away sin. And so all the animal sacrifices under the old covenant, listen to this, they only provided a temporary symbolic, get those two words, temporary symbolic. All the animal sacrifices under the old covenant only provided a temporary and symbolic covering for sin. That's why they had to be offered over and over and over again. But ladies and gentlemen, this afternoon, the good news is this, that when Jesus, the Lamb of God, came and he offered himself on the cross, everything changed. You say, what changed? Here it is. For by his single offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. One death in history, once and for all, will perfect you and me forever if we look to him as our only means of salvation. It's Christ. That's why I say he's our hero. That's why I say he's the basis of this church. This is why this church is all about Jesus Christ and not about any man. Whether it's me or another associate pastor who's preaching, listen, get your eyes off of us and get your eyes on Jesus. It's about him. It's not about some TV preacher. It's not about whoever your pet preacher is that you like to watch. It's about Jesus Christ. He's changed the world, and we need to look at him. As I was teaching the pastors in Haiti this uh, two weeks ago, um, it was so cool in Revelation to be reminded of the fact that here's John in AD 95 on the island of Patmos, and he's a prisoner, and he turns around, and there's Jesus. Jesus reveals himself to John in AD 95 on the island of Patmos. And John says that he, he falls on the ground like a dead man. And he says that Jesus has a robe that's going down and a golden sash and his eyes are like flame of fire and his feet are like burning bronze. His hair is white as wool and his face shone like the sun. And he's walking through the, the, the seven golden lampstands, which later on tell us represent the seven local churches. And you you know what he's got in his right hand? He's got the seven stars. 
The seven stars, which if you go to the end of Revelation chapter one, it tells you what that means too. The stars are the angels. The word angel in the Greek can be interpreted as messenger. The seven stars are the messengers or the pastors of the church. And so the pastors are in the right hand of the one who has a face shining like the sun. And if you tomorrow morning get up and you go to the Atlantic Ocean and you're standing on Jensen Beach and you're watching the sun rise, First, you see the stars. Wow, they're pretty magnificent. They're pretty beautiful. But they, pardon the bad English, ain't nothing compared to the sun. Because when the sun comes up, what happens to the stars? They fade away. And it's all about the sun blazing in its glory. We need more local churches where it's not about the stars. It's about the sun shining in its glory, touching our hearts, changing us from the inside out. It's Jesus. Say his name, Jesus. Say it. Jesus. It's him. Proclaim him this week. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. Let people know that Jesus is your hero. And he loves them in spite of their sin or their habit or their hang-up. And so God's done away with the old covenant and all the animal sacrifices. And he's established a new covenant that's based on the sacrifice of Jesus' body once for all. We gotta do this fast. Hold your place in Mark 14. Shoot over to Hebrews 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, starting in verse four. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ, look at this, verse five, when Christ came into the world, do you see that? He wasn't, it wasn't like he began as a baby 2,000 years ago. It wasn't like he was created in Mary's womb. Do you see that? No, Christ came into the world. The word, John tells us, became flesh. And so when Christ came into the world, he said, and he's talking to the father here, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. Okay, this is a, a dialogue between the son and the father. And the son is saying, the eternal son of God is saying to the father, You've got a body waiting for me. Verse six, in burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Verse eight, when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the what? the law, the old covenant. Verse nine, and he added, behold, again, Jesus talking to the father, behold, I have come to do your will. Now get this right here. He, God, does away with the first, the first what? Covenant. In order to establish the what? The second, the new covenant. And by that will, we, have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ 
once for all. Check out the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and, and the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Covenant established around 1500 BC, the New Covenant around AD 33. The Old Covenant was mediated by Moses, the New Covenant mediated by Christ. The Old Covenant, endless animal sacrifices. The New Covenant, the Lamb of God died once for all. And the Old Covenant is written on tablets of stone. The New Covenant, written on the tablets of our hearts by the Holy Spirit given to us. And the Old Covenant is all about law, but the New Covenant is all about grace. That's the difference, and we should rejoice in that. And so the penalty for sin will always be death. But here's the good news. As you hold that cup and hold that bread, if you really believe in your heart that his body was broken for you and his blood was shed for you to pay for your sins, he says, my death, which is once for all, is sufficient to forgive all your sins past, present, and future. And one day when you're about to take your last breath and the death angel's flying over your house, he'll look down and he'll see the blood of the lamb applied to the lintel and doorpost of your heart. And he will pass over you and your spirit, which has been made alive by faith in Jesus, will soar upward. Your spirit will never die. It'll soar upward to be with Jesus forever in heaven. Amen. Amen.